Hey everybody, welcome back to Giant Talk, the world's first OKR podcast. Um, I'm Lawrence, COO at There Be Giants, and I used to actually be host of Giant Talk uh, two or three seasons ago. So there's about 20 or 30 episodes out there with my voice on, so you may recognize me from that. I'm delighted to be back today just guest hosting for this podcast, because today we have our own head giant, Roger Longdon, joining us. And we also Oh, sorry, Roger. Sorry, hello there. <laughs> and we also have um, the CEO of Ally, Vetri Valor, joining us. Hi, Vetri. Hi. Um, great to have you both here. Really looking forward to this episode. Today, we're going to be talking about how changing environments are impacting productivity and prioritization within the workplace, something that I'm sure is very relevant to um, all the listeners out there and quite apt for the timing where we are, you know, September, a lot of people are starting to think about this now, thinking about hybrid and remote working and the way it can interplay with OKRs um, and and productivity more generally. So that's what we're going to dig into in a little while. Um, But first, I'd just love it if you could introduce yourself. So Roger, if you wouldn't mind doing a short introduction. Yeah, sure. I mean, for for uh, frequent listeners to uh, to the podcast, they'll they'll know my my dulcet tones because I do pop up now and again. Uh, but I'm the founder of There Be Giants. Uh, the business started over eleven years ago as a, a performance consultancy, and we evolved into focusing in particular on OKRs about six years ago, uh, which makes us one of the early movers, you might say, in this field. And since then, we've done work with some really exciting clients all around the world in multiple different sectors, ranging from broadcast media through to technology, through to um, uh, power companies and so on. It's a real mixed bag. Um, And uh, yeah, uh, really pleased to be here today to be talking about obviously the implications of what's happened over the past you know 12 to 18 months and how that's having an impact upon not just okrs but also the wider like you say the wider uh, issues of, of productivity and and so on so yeah thanks for the opportunity well thanks roger and vetri if you wouldn't mind just introducing yourself to the listeners thanks lawrence i'm vetri valor i'm the founder ceo of ally uh, ally is uh, software solution that is essentially trying to bring purpose and productivity to work. So every one of us understands how we are tied to this bigger picture. We are not just laying bricks, but we kind of are building the cathedral. And how do we manage to stay focused on that key things, those key priorities? And OKR is a framework that we latched onto pretty early to support this mission. Ally solution is now used by about a thousand organizations in about 80 different countries, organizations all the way from cutting edge technology firms like Coinbase and Slack to traditional large enterprises like American Family Insurance and Financial Times and others. Uh, It's been an amazing journey for us um, to be able to work with so many organizations and help them become successful in the OKR journey oftentimes working with key uh, partners like Derby Giants. My own personal background, I mean, I before Ally, I did another startup, which is really where I got exposed to OKRs. Um, and I kind of realized the real power of OKRs, the simplicity and the immense power 
at the same time. And before that, I was uh, running large product teams at Microsoft. I live in Seattle uh, with my family. Excellent. Thank you both for those introductions. Really interesting to hear the backgrounds of both yourselves and the organizations that we're representing today in Baby Giants and Ally. Um, so let's jump into to the core of the topic then, really. You know, setting the scene, one thing that I think we can all agree on in business that's an ever constant is, is change. Um, maybe not quite to the scale that we've seen over the last 12 to 18 months. I'm not sure anybody would have predicted that two years ago. But Roger, in your opinion, how have those events of the last 12 to 18 months really affected how businesses are responding to change? Well, um, I mean, <laughs> it's the events of the past 12 to 18 months have, have really hammered home that agility, adaptability, responsiveness, call it what you want, is um, absolutely critical for organizations nowadays. So I think in, you know, it was always the case that change should not just happen. It should be managed. It should be led. It should be well communicated, you know, and people should feel like they're part of it rather than it's being done to them. That's always been, you know, good practice around change management for, for many, many years. But what, the sudden and, uh, and 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 rather turbulent changes of the, of the past uh, sort of 12 to 18 months have really hammered home is that organizations haven't got the luxury of having you know a long time to plan and get people on side and so on and so forth so the priority then becomes uh upskilling and also, as well, creating the mindset within uh, individuals across the organization of one of um, we're, we're ready to, we're constantly ready to adapt and change to changing circumstances. Uh, and that we can do that pretty swiftly. And we see that in our work with OKRs because we see that they're starting to be used far more for cross-functional working uh, you know, trying to align uh, uh, activity in relation to or in support of uh, organisational priorities uh, doesn't always neatly fit into functional teams and functional boxes. You know, you have to start creating uh, teams from other parts of the pull from all parts of the organisation, um, and uh, and and so the the bottom line is that you know we've seen people. Um, or, and organizations put organizational agility much higher up the agenda. And I was doing a bit of reading around around this because that's obviously what we've observed from, from our clients and our projects, but also looking out there at the research, you know, in terms of where it was on the agenda for senior executives globally, this is data from the uh, CIPD here in the UK. They were saying that pre-pandemic, it was 40% of organizations had it on the agenda. Um, and that was in a report that they published right at the end of 2019, just before the pandemic was on was upon us. Um, and I think, you know, from like I said, you know, from from the sudden shock of uh, of last year, I think it's quite safe to say that it's probably even higher if they were to run that research again. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting to see that, um, you know, 40% probably sounds low now, actually, given everything we've been through. Um, so it'll be fascinating for when they redo that research to see what that figure rises to. Mm. Um, Vetri, have you, you seen similar with the businesses that you've been working with at Ally? Uh, certainly, Lawrence. There's a massive shift that has happened in the last year plus uh, now, right? We see three big things along the lines of what Roger was talking about. One is the significant disruption to pretty much every business, right? I'm not talking about people yet, just the business, the supply chains, and everything got, has gotten rejiggered. And the need for business agility has become even more important, right? And it's always been there, just that it's become more urgent now. And the focus from the business we work with on agility, how do they manage change quickly and effectively has become really, really top of mind for folks. The second thing we have noticed is the notion of how do you think about remote work? How do you keep your team focused, productive, and engaged during this remote time when you cannot see each other in the office and have those quick conversations? How do you still bring clear focus and purpose to everyone when they're sitting at home? That's been a huge shift. That is a trend, to be honest. We have been seeing for some time. I think the pandemic has accelerated the trend. And made it a lot more important and urgent as well. And the last one is the at the individual level, right? The social isolation the pandemic has brought, and the think thought process and enterprises around employee engagement and wellness uh, that has also increased in mindshare significantly. Uh, it is it's been hard on all of us to have social isolation for this really long extended period of time. And the focus on definitely engagement and wellness is much higher now. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I can completely uh, echo that. I've, I've seen uh, measures which perhaps were previously, you know, within just HR or or were perhaps even in some organisations only given lip service, like you say, engagement measures and so on and so forth, become far more important to organisations. They're now appearing on the corporate dashboards, uh, whereas perhaps they weren't given that level of visibility and uh, and priority in organisations. So definitely, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm struggling to think of a client that I've worked with over the past 12 months that hasn't had a company OKR around employee engagement and yeah. remote working, to be honest. Mm. Yeah. So that's, that's, that is a massive shift. And um, it was interesting what you were saying about significant disruption to businesses as well, Ally. I, I was working with a client this morning, actually, who are really struggling with that. Um, you know, massive, massive levels of disruption to the supply of materials. They're a materials company. Um, the one good thing that they did say that the OKRs had brought them was that they could deal with it, you know, within a quarter, whereas before it might have taken them 12 or 18 months to deal with just because of how many competing priorities there were, there wasn't that focus and clarity on the disruption like there was when OKRs put it at the front and center. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, I think the thing is what I'm seeing in organizations is that they're, they're kind of engineering themselves to be ready for what comes next. Or certainly the ones that are on the ball are doing that. And that means that doesn't mean to say that we do away with processes. Um, some might think that processes are the enemy of 
agility, but uh, what you need are, and I think you've just given a good example of it there, what you need are processes that are um, adaptable, not brittle. And yeah. what, you what you've just described there is, is an organisation that is currently grappling with a challenge, but because they have the framework of OKRs through which to work through that challenge, they have an adaptable framework. They have an adaptable approach there, which they can work with. Yeah, rather than a, a you know a very clear mandated process which one needs to follow. Mm. That's so a that great point, Roger. Um, uh, just piggybacking on that one, Lawrence. The because Roger made a very good point in my opinion. The idea is also about how do you change your systems so they are very adaptable, right? And part of it is also decentralizing. How do you actually make the information, the OKR transparency come really helps because everyone in the knows where the bottlenecks are and where the issues might be. And it pulls in the entire organization, not just the people at the top, to actually think about it and helps them react to these changes, gives them the right information, helps them react to changes much more quickly than before. The... We have seen that work within Ally too. They've always been OKR users, but as the disruption, pace of disruption has increased so much in the last few quarters, uh, it's amazing to see how the information with the team helps us to move faster, decentralized decision-making, and help to move even faster and adapt more quickly. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like, you know, a really great way for businesses to prepare for these workplace changes that are going to affect everybody, you know, as we as we come out of the pandemic, um, you know, by being adaptable, by being malleable. But how can they maintain a strong vision and direction whilst also having that agility and flexibility, Roger? So sort of building on that, that observation that I made about that client that you said you've been working with, um, I think having a goal management framework that really values collaboration and adaptability. So, you know, I think the, pr the practice of goal management in organizations is a relatively new one. Um, when I say goal management, I mean not the not the traditional cascade of goals through through an organization. I mean the actual conscious uh, um, mobilization of resources and bringing the right people together to to work on what needs to be focused on to move move the uh, 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 to move the goals forward and also then track it on a regular basis. Um, but it's about creating the time and the space and giving the resources to to those that are required to contribute to really work on that, to really genuinely work on that and it not be a lip, something that's paid lip service, something that is, um, like I said, a cascade, but just by another name. Uh, and... Um, yeah, I think that's I think that's massively important. I think that's massively important. And what we're seeing as part of that is a and this is this is another route into OKRs or maybe even organizations using uh, the same approach but not calling it OKRs is this desire to be focused on on the on the finishing line, the outcome rather than uh, the output. I think there's a a, a this is one of the biggest shifts which I'm seeing in in management for the past couple of decades, to be perfectly honest, 
Um, it's always been there in pockets and in, 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 in elements and in certain practices like project management and program management. But I think in just general management, you know, coming, being clear, leaders being clear about, well, this is where we want you to get to, but then not being uh, uh, prescriptive about how you should get there. And that is where you open up far more for the empowerment and uh, uh, and the innovation, in fact, because it allows ideas to percolate through on new things that can be tested. Um, so, you know, some might call it a product orientated approach because, again, it's a, you know, outcome orientation is something you often find in product teams. Um, but definitely the shift from output to outcome is it is a significant shift and it's obviously it's a cornerstone of working with OKRs as well. Mm. Mm. So I think what I'm hearing there then is also alongside that providing true autonomy to the staff. Massively. Um, is, is autonomy something you've seen be powerful, Betri, in, in the businesses you've worked with? Uh, absolutely, uh, Lawrence. Um, it does require a cultural change for some of the enterprises we work with, but it is a necessary and timely change. Yeah, when I was using the word centralized before, that is kind of related to autonomy, right? Fundamental need is to actually have autonomy, right? And tapping into that is hugely powerful. And OKR framework kind of blends beautifully into that, right? How you bring purpose through alignment. So you know, as an employee or as a team, why your work matters. But at the same time, you are not told exactly what to do, right? You've been given the purpose and it's left to you to figure out how do you manage to go about and accomplish that? And how do you align the resources and creativity to go make it happen? It's something that's it's not new. Again, it's been happening for some time, but it's become just a lot more important given the previous things we talked about, disruption, remote work, and employee engagement. Uh, we see that very, very consistently. It happens at different levels in different organizations, but it's a very strong trend we are seeing across all our customers. That's really interesting. And, and obviously, we start to touch on OKRs there and you know, I think from both both businesses, we've seen that OKRs are becoming a very popular choice for companies during this pandemic to create alignment within their organization. Um, and and the, the research that's coming back to us even suggests that 60% of OKR users adopted the methodology in the first place to create that alignment through their organization. Um, there will be people listening to this who haven't started on their OKR journey yet. Uh, they're looking to implement OKRs maybe in the coming quarter or the coming financial year. Um, Vetri, could you start us off on you know a bit of advice that you might give those organizations on where to start with the process? Sure, Lawrence. A vast majority of uh, the customers we work with are in this bucket, mm -hmm. relatively new to OKRs. And what we suggest is um, to actually start small. Right. Um, OKR as a framework is very, very simple, right? It's high core principles. But what's really happening in your organization is a transformation, as Roger mentioned. And change is not easy, particularly change at this level is not easy. So what we recommend is starting small, typically at a senior most level in the organization, but bringing visibility to everyone else. 
it's like the rest of the team or organization is not yet doing OKRs, but let's say the top two, three levels of the organization has started defining OKRs for the business and the departments. Everyone still has visibility into what those OKRs are, how they are coming along. And they, you start building the trust, the transparency, and you start getting some of the benefits throughout the organization right away. But we think it's really important to start small rather than just go um, throughout the entire organization in one shot. The second thing we recommend to our customers is, particularly if you're new, um, working with actually a strong coach. This is just typical in any activity in life. If I'm learning to ski, I typically find a trainer or a coach. This is a new activity. Yeah, having a coach, um, I mean, a lot of our customers also go learn on their own. That also has worked. But definitely what we have seen is having a coach helps to accelerate the journey and make sure you're getting off the right way in the OKR journey. The third thing we actually recommend is be patient, right? This is a transformation. And it typically takes what we call as two cranks, right? Two OKR cycles, two quarters. If that's quarterly is how your organization is doing its rhythms. Be, be patient. It's going to work. It has worked pretty much with every client we have worked with, but it is a change. Change at this deep level, meaningful level is going to take some time. You will start seeing immediate results, but you got to be patient to see the full results. And it might take two, three quarters. It works, but please be patient. Set the expectations accordingly and continue to make progress month after month. Yeah, yeah. brilliant. Um, Roger, I, I got a feeling I know the answer to this question, but do you agree with Vetri there? <laughs> you know me too well. <laughs> uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, pilots are what we really, really advocate. You know, test it out. Much in the same philosophy as OKRs themselves, you know, apply it to the way that you're going to use OKRs. Test it out. Trial it. That kind of framing it as a test um, kind of takes the, uh, the, 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 the pressure out of getting it right first time because the idea of a test is you test something out and you learn from it and then you adapt as a result of that. Uh, and that's one of the cornerstones of OKR best practice for full stop. So apply it to the way that you're going to use OKRs. It's as simple as that. You know, if 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 we can, I'd just like to just take a moment to sh to share a story of a client that we worked with um, uh, over the past twelve months that took this approach, and they had a division, a commercial division. It's a very large broadband provider here in the UK, and they had a division which uh, was in need of of some strong alignment, and there were. They were experiencing silos when trying to work with other parts of the business. There was a lot of them and us going on. Um, and they they wanted to find a way that they could uh, build some common shared objectives that people could really kind of really come together, uh, you know, and and, uh, and coalesce around. And so we, we, uh, we helped them put some OKRs in place for their commercial division, which... Uh, because they wanted to use them to drive cross-functional working, actually meant that they were inviting people from outside commercial to come in and work on these uh, the objectives. Like I said, use them as shared objectives. 
The interesting thing was that after setting that up around sort of June time last year, by the end of the year, they decided they wanted to deploy OKRs for each of their six strategic priorities, which were to get rolling from April this year. So we spent the first three months of this year helping them get OKRs in place for what were very cross-functional applications. So they they tested it out, they learned from it, and as a result of that, and they you know the wider business saw the value because it's fair to say the wider business was quite skeptical about it at first, and that's another really important advantage of a pilot. You can leverage a pilot to you know get some good news out there, show some really good results. Um, uh, as a result uh, from it. And we've seen the energy around pilots turn from, um, right, this is a, this is a, OKRs are something the rest of the organization needs to do to become, becoming, right, when are we going to get them? When are we going to start with them? So, yeah, that's, it, it was a really powerful, really powerful way of sort of starting small, mm. leveraging that, learning from it, building it up to a point where they've deployed it on a very, very successful basis. Yeah, that's great. That's just a, a fantastic example of Vetri's number one point there about starting small. Yeah. Um, what about Vetri's second point, Roger, of working with a strong coach? Do you know any? No, I can't think of any at the moment. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I do. We're, we're not bad. <laughs> um, so here's an interesting stat for you both. Um 61.5%, very specific in this stat, 61.5% of people who have used a goal framework in the past have reported back that they're worried about hitting their goals or not hitting their goals, but having those goals creates some sort of worry. Turning to you, Vetri, you know, with the OKR framework, what reassurance can you give to people that, might have those worries that OKRs are slightly different? Uh, wow, great, great question, uh, Lawrence. I'm going to take this in two different directions. Uh, the first one is OKR framework, if anything, emphasizes learning. It is really not about did you get to this goal exactly as it was planned, right? It is really about how do you learn, how do you stretch? And in fact, in most cases, you're not expected to hit the goal. Right, the goal might be to reach 100 million in revenue, and you still celebrate success when you get to 70, 80 percent of it. Right, I think that comfort and the focus on learning um, about OKRs makes this process a lot more manageable, while still helping people to stretch and aim for bigger things. The second direction in which I want to take this is. In philosophically, when you're running an organization, it is, in fact, okay to be uncomfortable. In mm. fact, most learning happens in that zone. When you're mm. in a comfort zone, very little learning happens. When you're in the zone after that, the learning zone, as I call it, you will be somewhat uncomfortable. But you have to be. That's where your individuals in your team grow, the organization grows, and it's a good thing. And that's one of the things I really like about the OKR framework. Yeah. In most cases, the objectives are set up as stretch objectives, deliberately taking the organization into this slightly uncomfortable zone where learning is maximized. Yeah, yeah, massively, massively. If you're constantly hitting 100%, the tendency is just just to continue and coast, coast by. 
there's no there's no real motivation to actually look at how things could improve. Some might actually say, well, how how could we do even better than 100%? But that's the minority. But if you're if you're not quite getting there, then um, then yeah, like you say, Vetri, there that's where the learning takes place. That's where the growth takes place. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Roger, I'm wondering though if you have any advice on those who are maybe setting up the OKR framework about um, you know how to balance the the management of goals with the management of um, culture in terms of hitting them. You know, we've seen with a lot of our clients in the past that there has been this immediate worry when OKRs are first implemented in the organisation. Yeah, that they have to hit every goal. Uh, and how somebody might might take that on board. Yeah, it very much depends on how uh, goals have been managed, goals have been um, approached in the past. And if the message has been hit 100% or you lose your job, then all of a sudden a message saying, hey, it's okay for you to you know fall short on these can be quite unsettling and quite detrimental for performance, actually. So there's no one size fits all in terms of this approach. You have to be guided by how things have worked in the past. Um, But um, what I would say is, as 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 a rough rule of thumb, is that it's a good idea to work with um, probably more committed key results in the first cycle or a couple of cycles, just to get everybody up to speed and feel comfortable with the with the way of working with OKRs. And then once people are confident with the way of working with OKRs, start to introduce a degree of stretch. So you start to introduce some aspirational ones. Um, and you know, we we do differentiate between the key results when we work with clients because um, even though all the books and blogs and so on and so forth out there say that key results should all be aspirational, well, actually, in, in practical terms, out there in the real world, there are certain things which absolutely have to be delivered 100%, and there's just no uh, the, the no falling short will mean 100% failure. Mm. Um, but uh, as you progress through and become more confident with OKRs, I would expect the uh the, the share of committeds to decline and the and the share of of aspirationals to increase yeah absolutely yeah. um that's great thank you so vetri mentioned earlier actually you know okr implementation is a transformational activity that requires a focus on change management you know that was one of the key reasons vetri advised starting small in the first place um, and as we know, Roger, there's a huge link between OKRs and culture, company culture. Yeah. Um, you know, we've brought in valuable expertise into Derby Giants to make sure we're always nailing that for our clients. Yeah. Um, really, what I'm interested in, though, is how you can focus on fostering a culture that really emphasizes employee experience. I mean, it's vital to reduce employee churn for a start, so it's important businesses do that but at the same time, maximize the results needed to be able to drive businesses forward to where they want to be. Um, Vetri, if I can come to you first on, on that question. Sure, sure Lawrence. Um, there are a couple of aspects here. One is 
how do you it, it should not be seen as an initiative ideally just push from the top right i think the job of the leadership here is to actually emphasize why the employee experience is going to improve as a result of using okrs and also explain how it's connected to the company's culture if you take for example ally our values are around being data driven instead of being personality driven our values are around being transparent by default right everything is visible to everyone so it's a leadership needs to actually take the time to actually help people understand the connection between okrs and the culture of the organization how they seamlessly fit in i think it's a communication challenge and make sure that your team understands it is not yet another top down initiative to just run the business better and generate more profits but it's really about really connecting to the employee experience and the culture of the organization that communication is really really important it uh, otherwise it sets the stage wrong too many companies we have worked with there is a new initiative every year right you don't want this to fall in that bucket this is a transformative initiative it is going to determine the long term success of the company bigger than most other initiatives putting that emphasis and connecting the dots from the initiative to not just our business outcomes but employee experience and culture is a leadership challenge it's not hard to do but something they have to be cognizant of and make sure that's included when they actually roll this out the second is how do you get people to own this right again the okrs really do i mean okr fits in very naturally here as well the whole idea of okrs is not just it cascades from top to bottom but it actually can go from bottom to top as well in fact the best companies we work with do both really really well about 60% of objectives come from the top and 40% come from bottom up in a typical case that we work with so how do you get people to own this right this is their initiative is not something that it's for their benefit and how do you get people to own this rather than just look at this as a system that's coming down from the top if we can do that communication and if we can get people to understand and own it we have seen those programs seamlessly fit in okrs and employee experience and culture seamlessly fit in and uh, become amazingly successful mm. yeah is similar yeah well just to build on vetri's point there and and link it back to something that i mentioned earlier about this uh this 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 paradigm shift that we're seeing in 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 wider more general sort of management now to a more outcome based approach to management that fits in with exactly what uh, vetri was just saying there because uh, if you're managing by outcomes by its very nature you're being less prescriptive mm-hmm. um and i think that I think the the challenge for leadership nowadays is there is so there is so much noise out there there are so many things that could distract even more so from the past 12 to 18 months that could distract and pull us off course you know from the macro level of of the alerts on our phones to uh sorry the micro level to to the macro level of 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 you know what's going on in world economies and so on there's so many things that can pull us off track so leadership's job is to separate the noise from the signals and be really ultra clear on what those signals are because those signals are the priorities mm. and the minute you're clearer on the priorities then that by its own very nature again is also empowering because people are clear about the direction that we're moving in and what the what the end point is and therefore can make a decision in the moment or certainly very timely 
on what they do next, where they where they focus their time, where they spend their budget, because they know what the priorities are. They're not having to defer traditionally, I suppose, upwards to seek clarification or seek um, approval or sign-off or so on. So the priorities are clear. And obviously what then comes with that is a degree of empowerment. So this is all about taking a far more human-centered approach to the development and execution of strategy. Um, and as I, as I mentioned before, particularly with the example, you know, taking a cross-functional, far less hierarchical approach to uh, the way that you deploy you know, or the way that you align through the business, you know, people uh, into your and teams into your priorities is really key, is absolutely essential. Mm. So I think what you've both done there is absolutely flipped my question on its head and <laughs> have really asked me how, how can I expect to maximize the results needed to drive my business forward if I don't foster a culture that emphasizes employee experience? Um, really is, is what we're getting at there, isn't it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, Roger, I'm going to come to you first on this next question, if that's all right, because you kind of started to touch on this before and you mentioned how we can use pilots and, and different parts of the business or projects or initiatives to start to build excitement and momentum for OKRs in an organization. But what I'm interested in here is what guidance you have for um, those that are trying to implement OKRs in their, their business and are seeing resistance to the process, um, first and foremost. Yeah, so we've been called in to a few clients who have um, been experiencing resistance. They've tried to do it for themselves. You know, they didn't get their skiing instructor vetry. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and uh, uh, yeah, um, um, so there's a number of different reasons as to why you can see you, you, you can be experiencing resistance. But it, what it pretty much comes down to is the change just has not been managed. It hasn't been uh, managed in 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 the right way. And I'm thinking of one in particular where they they decided to do the. Uh, to implement OKRs across all 3,000 people in one go yeah. and then wondered why it fell flat. Uh, and they, <laughs> they they were going, hang on a second, we've got 3,000 people that are all trying to align into the CEO's uh, OKRs. This is, this is just isn't working. <laughs> so, um, yeah, they hadn't uh, – they'd been too eager to jump straight in which you know, I'm a big believer in, in 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 many instances of just getting started. Throw yourself into it and learn from it. But in this instance, you know, they burnt through a lot of goodwill in the organisation in doing it that way. And so, when I went in and I worked with them to actually design a more um, uh, beneficial and productive OKR implementation, they had to basically press rewind and say, okay, here comes OKRs version two. And what they did was um, they 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 went through the they, they went through the process of laying the groundwork first. You know, this is the vision for OKRs. This is why we need them. This is this is what will happen if we don't have them. So, you know, making sure you've got a bit of carrot and stick there. And also, so importantly, this is what's in it for you. 
This is how it's going to make your job or maybe even your life a bit easier, a bit better. This is the value in it, right? And that is something which to say it here and here and now sounds completely blindingly obvious. Why on earth would we not do that? But, you know, like I said, this was an organization, a very, ex, you know, very well-established uh, uh, software organization that just went, right, we're doing it, 3,000 people. There you go, bang. And it just fell flat. Um, so, you know, even really experienced organizations can – uh, uh, can 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 sometimes still slip up on this. Petri, mm. have you seen similar in your experience? Uh, yeah, I mean, very very similar experiences. I think we talked about yeah. starting small and showing traction, right? And but the showing traction again, it's okay, right? Even if a small team in the organization is doing okay, as we typically prefer that being the leadership team. And then everyone in the company having access to the fact that they are doing it. Here, the OKRs, here's a progress. And that actually builds a lot of excitement, right? Uh, you're not burdening everyone in the organization at the same time to figure out what are OKRs, how to write great OKRs. And people learn when the leadership models, right? The leadership is modeling their usage of OKRs. And that's one of the best ways to create excitement and that momentum. In fact, we often see some other departments and teams will immediately jump and say, we also want to do this. Now that we have seen how our leadership does it and why it is good for the organization. The other thing is making sure that you're not creating extra work for your teams and users, right? Everyone is already busy. And how do you make sure that this OKR is actually uh, net positive and it's not just one more thing that they need to do every week, every month, every quarter. And there are a couple of things. One is consciously thinking about what is it you're replacing? Okay, you added this thing, OKR. What is it replacing? How does your weekly status thing become not necessary anymore? Right? Are you going to do an OKR review and a weekly status, for example? Right? How, what are the things you want to now remove or reduce? So this is not a net addition to work that your team has to do every day, every week. Mm -hmm. uh, the second part is how do you also use tools like Ally and there are others right, to automate a lot of these. So you're not burning your team with a lot of manual work and updating OKRs and stuff. For example, tools like Ally allow you to easily connect the objective or the KPIs to where work happens, like to Salesforce or to Jira, so many other places project management, other systems, BI systems your team may be using and automatically update the objectives. So you eliminate that one more thing that your team now has to do, but you create in the benefit uh, that OKR brings without all the extra effort you need to put into it. I, we recommend that people look into reducing the effort and also starting small and showing traction. Mm. Yeah, no, they're, they're, they're all really important points and, and I thank you for those. Um, just to pick up and, and advance on something that Roger said about always making clear, you know, you're answering that question, what's in it for me or my team? At a senior level, I think one of the things that I've seen a lot when I've seen resistance at that level is that actually that resistance is just a manifestation of an anxiety or an apprehension of what the OKR implementation actually means. Um, and I think it's really important, therefore, that it's it's outlined from the very beginning 
exactly what this OKR implementation means for the organization and for those people at that level. You know, what it's going to look like, what it's going to include. Because in, in almost every instance when I've seen resistance, once those questions have started to be answered, the resistance fades quite quickly. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, mm-hmm. yes, 100%. Um, right. I think I've, I've allowed us all to, um, you know, gavel on for, for long enough. So I'd like to wrap up with a closing question and I'll, I'll come to Vetri first, which is, you know, we've covered a lot of topics today. We've gone through some tips for OKR implementation. If somebody's looking to implement OKRs right here, right now, once they come off listening to this podcast, what is the one next step they should take in order to um, start to lead a successful OKR implementation? Maybe specifically with regards to change management, as that's been the focus of today. Uh-huh. Um, in my opinion, what we have seen some customers do is they research and research and research. Mm-hmm. OKR is fundamentally really simple and easy. Now, doing it at a scale and doing it through a proper change management, that's a different exercise. But it's a fundamentally very easy framework. I would always recommend, instead of being on the sidelines, take the plunge. Do it at a small scale, but get started. Get started. Find a coach if you think you need one and get started it is a very, very easy framework. And only by doing, your learning is going to accelerate on how to do it better and better. And then when you're at the right level, right expertise, you can scale it to other parts of your organization. But get started. It's easy. It's my biggest recommendation. There are two more I would say in the same vein. When you get started, it's not just about OKRs and how you roll it out to your leadership team. But you have to show why this is important at all levels of the enterprise, something we touched upon throughout this conversation. Why is it really important for the business to be agile? Why is it super important to to help with the growth of the business? So at a business level, at a team level, why is this important? And at an individual level, why is their life going to be better? Why is this important for them? So we have to lead with why is this change important, even though the change in some cases may be the framework is easy. You still have to give context as a leader into why this is important at every level of the enterprise and also set expectations that this is going to be a journey. This is not like we roll this thing out and next week we are done and we are experts and we are good to go. But set expectations on this is important, but this is going to be a journey. We're going to learn along the journey and get started. Absolutely. Uh, and Roger, from yourself? So everything Vestry just said, said and... Um, I, uh, I I particularly like the point about just trying it out, just getting stuck in and trying it out in a small controlled way. So on a practical, uh, from, from a practical point of view, that could mean choosing a particular priority in your plan and developing some OKRs to support that. Or it could mean just choosing a team and marketing is often quite a good one to try it out in because as marketing runs nowadays, there's a hell of a lot of data around. So there's no shortage of measures uh, or data you can use to create measures anyway. So, um, and they often have to be quite creative and they're often testing new things out. So, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting area to try. However, as you look to, perhaps go that step further and start with the wider rollout, I would say um, for most organizations, this is where, you know, don't just think about the 
uh, training people or in 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 the in the art of writing good OKRs and so on and so forth. That's important, yes, but that's just the starting point. Getting people comfortable with ambiguity is important because if you're going to be giving them outcomes to work to, they have to be comfortable with not also being given instructions on how to get there. Mm. And for a lot of people, that can be really quite unsettling, mm. really quite unsettling. So, But the process that they go through is, is a really powerful one as they work through that ambiguity, that's that's a, that's how alignment's built. That is how alignment is built. So, you know, in terms of advice to organizations here and now, I'd say make sure you provide the space for teams to work through and build that alignment because the outcome will be far more powerful than if you take the shortcuts and just give them their uh, their objectives and key results because they will have no buy-in to that and there's no guarantee that uh, uh, that they would be the right ones in the first place. Okay. Absolutely. Gentlemen, thank you both so much, uh, Roger, Vetri, for, for joining me on today's podcast. Nothing. It's been great. You know, how those changing thank environments. You. It was fun. It was a pleasure. Thanks, Lawrence. Thanks, Roger. Absolutely. Uh, and thank you to the listeners, of course, for joining us for another episode. As always, um, any comments about the episode, any feedback uh, or anything at all you want to discuss, feel free to reach out to us at growth at Um In the show notes description, we've actually linked our joint ebook that we've written with Ally, uh, which is all about four strategies for navigating organizational change with OKRs. So please do feel free to drop on and download that as well. That'll be a really nice follow-up to this podcast that we've done today. Um, but ultimately, we'll see you next time for another episode of Giant Talk. Thank you very much. Bye.